title of my meditation this morning is, What Do You Want? That's what I was going to write on the board. What do you want? Dennis already told us what he wants. He wants his grouch back. <laughs> what do the rest of you want? Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 1 through 7. And if I suppose if I, I give each of you an opportunity to ask and to, sh- to share what you would want, if there was one thing you wanted, I, I would hope you take some time to consider it and think about it, but there would probably be a, a vast range of, of wants that you, you'd like to have fulfilled. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many of uh, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh. Yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Anybody remember reading these verses recently? I don't know how many of you follow the daily readings for the Sunday School quarterly. This this was our one of the daily readings probably back, uh, I'm going to say two weeks ago perhaps, for the Sunday School lesson. And I, I don't always read all the daily readings, but I happened to read these verses. And verse 3 particularly stuck with me. And, and just, I don't know if you ever have that happen to you. When you read God's Word, and there, there's something just grabs, stands out to you and gets your attention. Verse 3 in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wow, that, that's a lot, that's saying a lot. Um, you think about treasures, and if I would ask you what you wanted this morning, it probably would have been something of importance. And uh, when I think of treasures, I think of something that is valuable, something that has worth. You uh, think about wisdom. And uh, you might say, uh, it's what I need, it's what we need, it's what we all need. Uh, you know, it's an application. Wisdom can be termed an application of knowledge, perhaps. And that's the third word that is in that verse there, too. So I thought about wisdom. My mind went back to Solomon. I'd like to just take you back to Solomon, to uh, the verses there in First uh, Kings chapter 3. That's actually where my meditation title thought came from. First Kings chapter 3. I'd like to read uh, verses uh, 3 through 15. This is in the beginning of King Solomon's reign. First Kings chapter 3. Verse, uh, I wanted to begin reading at uh, verses 3 through 15. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, 
Only he sacrificed and burned incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was for there was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he has walked before thee in truth and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered, nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge, to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but thou hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days." And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem, and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings, and offered peace offerings, and made a feast to all his servants. So there God comes to, you know, me asking you what you want this morning, you look at me and you say, well, you know, what can I give you? My resources are pretty limited. I really probably couldn't meet a fraction of what you want this morning. I can't even give Dennis his garage back. That's between him and Mary Sue. Uh, and I don't know what the rest of you want. But, you know, my resources are very, very limited. So, you know, if, if, if a quarter of you, or maybe even just a, a sixteenth of you went home this morning with, some, with your once met, you know, that would be, that'd be phenomenal in my book, really. But the fact is that I'm not trying to supply your wants. God is offering to do that for us. And that's the thrust I want to draw your attention to this morning, that God has so much for us. And do we avail ourselves to that those riches that are available to us through Jesus Christ? Well, that was, I think, better than two weeks ago. Those verses in Colossians, uh, you know, were, were going around in my mind, and I was thinking about them and meditating on them, and I was thinking about, you know, how, how powerful that is and how precious that is. That, you know, uh, I thought of a couple of uh, quotes that you know, fit together with this thought, you know, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You, you probably all heard that quote already. It's been around since Theodore Roosevelt, before my time. Actually, I think if you Google it, it says he's credited for that saying. I don't know what the circumstances were. I didn't research that. Uh, but, you know, that idea of having knowledge, that idea of being able to to translate my understanding of you or God's understanding of us into something that uh, benefits us so that we understand the knowledge and care equation. If we can emulate that as Christians, we're going to accomplish something. 
that our knowledge, our knowing, gets down to a caring factor. And then I also thought of another quote, and I don't know where this one came from, but it's been around probably just as long. It says, not what you know, but who you know. And that's true, too. Not what you know, but who you know can make the difference. And that's what I offer to you this morning. It's not who I am and what I have, what I have to offer you is what I know, but, but it's, it's, it's knowing Jesus Christ this morning. That makes the difference in our lives. Then I, I have a daily Bible verse that comes in my email. And uh, it was one day this week those verses, a verse came that somewhat confirmed, confirmed my, my focus for my message. And that's in the book of Romans chapter 11. And I want you to turn there, uh, familiar verses too. Romans chapter 11, beginning at verse 33. Some of the same thoughts that are in the book of Colossians as well. Romans 11, beginning at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So that verse came on my email, and I, I looked at that, and I thought, "Wow, that's that's <laughs> that's just as powerful to realize that that uh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God." You know, I'm as, as human beings, we're exhaustible. We we can soon sit down and we can learn, we can talk, and and soon we're done. We're empty. We we knew, we've told all we know. But with God, it says there's there's always always something more to know. There's a different depth of of, of a different level of, of understanding and learning that we can accomplish. You know, would there be value in coming to church Sunday morning if I'd say, well, I, I think I've attained it all. I, I've heard it all. We've been doing this since we were small children in Sunday school class. And we sang a children's song this morning. Uh, appreciated that. Right on the corner where you are. But you know, really, it doesn't matter what age we are. We, we're so, so small in the, size, in the sight of God. And uh, unless we view ourselves as children in God's, God's eyes, and it doesn't matter to what level of attainment we've, we've uh, risen to, we're still just very, very small in the eyes of God. Going back to um, Solomon's experience here in First Kings again, I realize I'm jump, jumping around here quite a bit. But uh, a couple of things I, I, I wanted to uh, mention and... Uh, you know, I, that, that story, that account of Solomon has always impressed me. And uh, if we would continue reading on, and uh, I should uh, pick up the story there at, at verse 16. You know, Solomon was soon put to the test. Very, 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 very soon after. I don't know what the time frame was there exactly. At least in chronological order there, in the way it is in the King James, it seems like it was, it was right immediately after that uh, God had confirmed his... Uh, his commitment to Solomon, that he was going to give him wisdom like nobody else had ever seen. And then his test, then his test came. In, in verse 16 of 1 Kings 3, Then came two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O oh my Lord, I, had, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And the woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. 
And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me, while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then the king said, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is dead, and my son is living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one, and half to the other. Then spake the woman, whose the living child was unto the child, for her bowels yearned upon her own son, and said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. That story is a fascinating story. Uh, it's so profound and yet so very simple. And uh, it has always impressed me. You know, what would have, just to let your imagination run this morning, what would have been your response? Are we faced with decisions and, and circumstances that could perhaps be similar? Uh, Solomon had an answer. God gave him wisdom. I believe as God desires to give us wisdom as well. Do I believe this morning that, that God knows every answer to every question? Do I believe that? I honestly believe that. God knows the answer to every question. He may not choose to reveal the answer to me. In this situation, God chose to reveal the answer to Solomon. And... Uh, you know, I thought about that. What, what would have been my response? Well, you might say, well, today, 21st century, we have more options, okay? We could call up the scientific research lab and say, well, let's do a DNA analysis here. See whose child this really was. That's an option we could probably have to be, I don't know, what is it, 99.9% .9 accurate? I don't know. It, it's almost without fail, I think, the, the DNA analysis. That'd be one thing. Uh, well, we surely could Google it, couldn't we? That's what we do when we face tough questions. We, we, we go to our computers and we Google for answers. Uh, but you know, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, maybe we have too many options <laughs> in our culture today. Rather than simply trusting God, we have too many other options that are available at our fingertips, so we start resourcing them. I'm not saying that's all bad. Don't get me wrong. But is it detracting our focus on Maybe when God would have us to simply trust him in faith. Thinking about that idea, do I believe today that God knows the answers of all the questions that I will face in life? I firmly believe he does. Then I thought about that some more and I thought, well, why doesn't God reveal the answers to me? Well, there could be a number of reasons. Some of the things that I've thought about is, well, the one I mentioned, maybe God wants us to, us to trust him in faith. That he knows the answer, but yet is withholding the answer from us. To simply trust him. That he knows the answer, but maybe we don't need to know the answer now. And that's another thing I thought about. Maybe if God revealed the answer to us today, we may not be able to handle it. We may not understand it. 
if God gave us the answer. God is all wise. He understands us, understands me, you, better than we do ourselves. If God gives us the answer, it may be that we may not understand the answer that, like we should. Um, the other thing I thought about, maybe God withholds the answers sometimes from us um, to help us to understand others in their experiences, perhaps. I believe that could be a likely reason why God sometimes helps us to... Maybe, maybe we, in our own understanding... Uh, you know, I thought about my sister and brother-in-law, Ray. How, is it about a year that you had your accident? How about a year that you had your accident? Maybe not quite. April? Okay. May? You know, there's something that you might look back and you say, well, what was the purpose of that? <laughs> maybe aged is a few years more than we would like to think. Uh, but maybe God hasn't given you an answer to that. Maybe it has, I don't know what the reasons and purposes are. But maybe it will help you to understand others as they face difficulties in their life. The other verses, the other thing I thought about was uh, the verses there in Romans. I don't know if you noticed that last verse there. It says, all glory be to God. And uh, ultimately, that's, I think, a reason in itself. Maybe God withholds the answers from us for his glory. We, we, we like answers. We want answers. But for some reason, I believe God sometimes can get glory from us simply trusting him in faith. And it's a glory to him to, to see our lives in complete, even though we don't understand the total picture. God sees us serving him in a total obedience. It's for his glory. You know, I, I thought about the idea of wisdom and knowledge and, you know, how the world looks at wisdom and knowledge. And uh, I don't know if you've ever taken an IQ test. I, I don't know that I ever have taken an IQ test. Uh, the intelligent quotation, I think, is what the IQ stands for. I, I was doing a little research, looking some reviews and information. One, one person replied and said, I don't even know what IQ stands for, so where am I at on the scale of, of IQ? <laughs> uh, I think the highest, one of the things I found interesting was they said that IQ is so subjective. And they realized that there's, there, it's, it's not totally foolproof. And uh, sometimes people with the highest IQ, and they mentioned this in the article, sometimes people with the highest IQ have trouble with common sense. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, that's... One of the one of the highest the ten highest ranking people of IQ and I didn't know any of them. Uh, one was way back in the 1800s. So they they say they said it was the IQ testing that they had. They said it, I think they, 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 it was it was estimated at somewhere between 200 and 300 his IQ level. And uh, I think he entered Harvard School at Harvard Law School at I don't know if it was a teenager I think or graduated I'm not sure whichever. But at a phenomenal young age, when you know most people were, you know, struggling through that probably quite a bit later in their own in their lives experience, and uh, so how important is an IQ? Is I think a wisdom and knowledge, uh, and one of the other things that I thought was interesting, they mentioned that the brain as being uh, an interesting and the le- probably one of the least understood organs of our body. <laughs> 
you know, what, what makes it work? What makes it exactly? We, we've come a long way perhaps. And, but, you know, there's still a lot that they, they don't fully understand. And, uh, but I, I thought about that IQ and I thought about the, the quotation that, you know, the accumulation of knowledge that we can possess within our brains and, uh, you know, the effort that some people put forth to that. And I think it's good. I think we ought to be good stewards of, of our talents. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that going back to that quote that, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care is, is really the bottom line of, of, of our intelligence and, and, you know, how we apply that. So this morning, instead of doing an IQ test, I like to suggest we do an IC test. You know, how, how, how am I doing as far as in my, uh, instead of intelligence quotation, how do I care about other people? So you can think about that. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. And I, as I thought, how, how can we translate the, the idea of knowing into caring? And I, my mind went to this love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And I, I think love, I mean I know, love is the vehicle that, that will help us to get to that point. That my knowledge, my understanding of people's needs will be the be conveyed by the vehicle of love so that I can they can know how much I care. Charity is indeed, I think, that channel, that vehicle that will get us to the point of people understanding our care. I'd like to just go through verses one through four, uh, we have a comparison. And uh, those verses talk about a it compares different things, and I'll just look at those things. And you can think about your experience, your your life. How uh, how do I measure up? It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. You want to know what your your IC level is? Check your speech. Is your speech quick or slow? Is it soft or harsh? Are the words that come out, are they bitter or soft? What is the subject content of the words that are coming forth from your mouth? Are they Christ-centered? Are they asking others about their lives, their experiences? Or is it always self? Those four things I thought about as I thought about checking our speech in our IC quotation here. Is, it, is my speech quick or is it slow? Is it soft or is it harsh? Is it bitter or sweet words that come forth? The subject content, is it about Christ? Is it about others? Or is it about myself? Looking at verse 2, it says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. There's that idea of mysteries and wisdom and knowledge again. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, I have not charity, I am nothing. Well, the second point, check your foresight. The idea of prophecy, that's what prophecy is talking about. Being able to, to see what's ahead. Being able to have understanding of what's ahead. Do I use my foresight to encourage or discourage others in their walk with the Lord? Do I use it as a tool for building or glorifying the church? Or is it for self-glorification? Or do I have a told-you-so attitude rather than can-I-help-you attitude? Quite a difference. 
Do I realize that I do not have a monopoly on foresight? And I need to balance it with what others see as well. I don't have a monopoly on God's future, on the future in relation to God. Am I willing to listen to what others have to say? Again in verse 2, the third point. It says, if I have faith so that I can remove mountains. Wow. Move any mountains lately? Check your ability to shake and move is the third I see that I see. I want to caution you, activity and action aren't always indicative of progress. You might get the mountain moved, but how many people have you buried in the process? Am I more concerned about results? Others see than if I'm silently behind the scenes doing God's will. What are my motives for putting my faith on display in moving a mountain? Look at your motives. Is it, are they pure? Are they for a purpose for building God's kingdom? I think it was Daniel Coffin, not Daniel Coffin. Matthew Henry had this thought. He said, Achievements aren't measured by the size of the mountain that is moved, but more by the amount of love in the man who moved him. I like that thought. Achievement isn't measured by the size of the mountain that is moved, but more by the amount of love that is in the man who moved it. Verse 3, the fourth I see quotation that I want you to look at. It says, And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Is my heart in the sharing, the giving that I shared? Or does my hand want to tighten? Is it grudgingly rather than willingly? How long did it take to lift our offering this morning? Anybody want to guess? We're talking about giving here. How long did it take to give, give, lift our offering? One time, one time. I think he said it's less than a minute. Okay. I think it's a little longer than that. I think it was about close to two minutes this morning. I, I timed it this morning. <laughs> Might have been two and a half. So that's good. It's getting longer. But you know, giving is so much a part of the Christian experience. And we, in our whole service, we pack it down to two minutes. What's wrong? Wow. Okay. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. It only takes that long to drop in, okay? That's what we're doing. But you know, you, you want to calculate up the hours of work that were in that offering basket this morning? Yeah, it's a little different perspective, really. Just stop and think about it. Uh, so that puts it in a little bit of perspective. I was just trying to think, is there something we could do to improve our, our giving? Now, I also realize there's a different way of giving. And it talks about that here in that verse 3. It says, even though I give my body to be burned. Now, nobody's done that that I know of. We've maybe given up some sleep for studying and teaching Sunday school class or, or devotions or, you know, how to get here earlier to usher. Uh, you know, so there, there's, there's a lot of giving going on. And I, I, I thank you for that. I, 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 you know, give God the glory for that. Uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes effort, and uh, it's for His glory. But I, I was challenged that I thought about how important giving is and, and how quick it happens in a worship service. I mean, two minutes and it's gone. It's done. 
Well, I shouldn't say it's gone, it's done. It's that part of it's over. But, and yet it's, it, it, it goes, goes out in the work of the Lord, in God's kingdom further yet. Uh, sharing with the needs of brethren and sisters this morning in, in medical needs. And you know that, that's a powerful testimony too uh, in itself. The Amplified Version translation has the idea in relation to giving my body to be burned. Now, we'd say that's the ultimate sacrifice, and I believe it would be. Our forefathers knew what that really meant, to be have their, their faith burned at the stake for their faith. Now, the Amplified says that had a little different slant on it. I thought it was interesting because it may be related to us in our way here today. Uh, it says, God's love in our heart needs to be our burning passion in our giving and sharing. And uh, so I think that's true. As we give, as we share, whether it's in a monetary way or in a, in a self-sacrificing way, the way we serve the Lord in, 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 in the work of the church and whatever He calls us, uh, you know, as trustees or Sunday school teachers, Bible school teachers, whatever it is, I, I think the, the, the burning love of God in our hearts needs to be the motivation for us doing that task or work. It, it really doesn't mount to anything. You may as well have stayed home. Should I say that? No, maybe you better still do it and then change your heart. Would that be better? I think that might be better. Well, that's the comparisons that... And I don't know how you measured up. I know how I measured up. <laughs> and I won't tell you what my C level was, but it needs to be improved. And uh, I'm trusting God's Spirit to... Uh, minister to your life this morning as, as I share because I don't know your life I don't know your personal lives uh, what they're like verses 4 through 7 in 1 Corinthians 13 it talks about it's a, it's a, it's a quality test here um, gives us quality characteristics of, of the genuine love that we need to have Beginning at uh, verses 4 through 7, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Um, and I want to stop, actually, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I want to stop at uh, verse 7, I guess. But, uh, you know, is your love the long kind of love? The long-suffering kind, as it's mentioned there in uh, in verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Uh, it mentions the idea of, of envy. Envy will destroy love. And uh, will break up uh, relationships. Will break up. Uh, and, you know, it destroys. Envy will always destroy uh, is my love the honest kind? Does it prefer others' interests above myself? Uh, verse 5 mentions the idea of uh, does not behave itself unseemingly. Uh, it has the idea of courtesy. I believe it practices the golden rule. This, this quality of love will practice the golden rule. It will treat others like I would like to be treated. Um, will not neglect, it will not neglect... Uh, uh, will neglect, rather, self ahead of others. Will neglect self ahead of others, putting others ahead of ourselves. There is no place for anger, anger in this love. 
Uh, it mentions the idea of, of thoughts. Provoketh uh, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Uh, let love control our thought patterns, um, you know, our thinking. And again, that's something I don't fully understand. You know, our, our minds, you know, we, we, we get incidences and we replay them over again. And, and why do we replay them over again? Uh, is it because we were hurt? Is it because of, uh, you know, for whatever reason? But uh, we need to realize that love can help us to break those thought patterns that are destructive. Verse 6, it says, Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Uh, Christ, while we were yet sinners, uh, He loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. We need to do the same today. Uh, it needs to be the same in our relationships as well. Life isn't perfect. People aren't perfect. We still need to love them, even as Christ loved us. Do I delight in the truth? God, Christ, is the source of all truth. Do I think and focus on those things that are truthful? Look at verse 7. I see no exception clause here. It says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. I like that verse. You know, that three-letter word, all, is so inclusive. We want to make an exception. But it wasn't quite like that. You know, it was, it was worse than that. But, you know, here it's, it's telling us that we need, to, we need to bear all things, we need to believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. In spite of how we took it, give people the benefit of the doubt. Regardless how much we think we didn't deserve it, we need to bear it. Um... That three-letter word, all. I see no excuse, absolutely no excuse for ourselves. It, it's a, it's, it's a, a thought that it's a truth that I believe will take care of a lot of problems. If you think about it, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Verses eight through thirteen talks about charity actually being the, the preferable uh, experience in spite of all the other things that we were matched up to it here. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, here we come again. When I was a child, are we still a child this morning? I think we are. I am. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. In God's eyes, we are, we are children. We will not become, and maybe I'm taking this verse out of context here, but we do not become fully man until we have been redeemed in glory. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Now abide faith, hope, and charity. These three but the greatest of these is charity. You know, we only understand part of the equation this side of eternity. In verse 9. Verse 10 talks about that which is perfect is come. Sometime it will be perfect. Life will be perfect. Life will be over, will be into eternity, and it will be perfect. Life is imperfect. Verse 11. Uh, you know, what, as I thought about being a child, I thought, okay... What is 40 years in light of eternity? And that's where I'm coming at with my thoughts, saying I'm still a child. 
uh, I hope I'm maturing in Christ. I believe that should be our aspiration. But I don't think we'll reach the fullness of the maturity in Christ until we reach the other side of glory. What is 40 years in light of eternity? What is 50 years in light of eternity? What is 60, 70, or 80 years even in light of eternity this morning? It's really, it's really nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing at all. Well, in verses 12 and 13, we see through a glass darkly, sometime face to face. We know in part now. Do we know enough to, to, for us to achieve eternal life with God? I believe God will be faithful in revealing to us. Remember, if we go back to the verses there in Colossians and Romans, the, uh, the wisdom and the knowledge that is hid in Christ Jesus, we need to be mining that, daily mining that, and researching that and, and applying it to our our experience and our relationship with Jesus Christ. That will keep us on the, the way to glory. Now abide in faith. Faith is important. Faith is necessary. Without faith, we cannot please God. It's important. Hope, ch- charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Charity is what God expects us to, to uh, emphasize or to portray to our, our, uh, our fellow man. As I thought about our Christian walk, there was four things that I, I thought of our, as I looked at the message here this morning, there's four things that I thought that we could summarize would uh, be important and should, as I thought of the idea, what do we want? What do I want this morning? There's four things that I, I would like to think you to give for your consideration. Number one, I think, first of all, is a relationship with God. That should be our number one relation, thing that we want. We want a relationship with God. And that is, that is through the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Number two, I think we need to have an understanding of His will for our lives. Each one of us. God has a will for each one of us. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And we need to understand that will. Sometimes, you know, as young people, and even as older people, we get impatient. We think, well, okay, what's God's will in this given situation? And God maybe don't give us an answer. Remember why God sometimes withholds those answers. It, maybe the timing isn't right. Maybe we couldn't handle the answer. Maybe we wouldn't understand it. But an understanding of His will for our lives, I believe, is important. And God will give us enough to keep us where He wants us. <laughs> the third thing is, I believe a motivating factor is that we ought to be reaching out and helping others to achieve those first two goals. An understanding of God, a relationship with God, an understanding of His will for their lives as well. And then fourth, I think God expects us to experience the results of that kind of a life. That is, living at peace with Him here in time, with others and myself, and a recognition that my life is to be for His glory, barring the thought from Romans chapter uh, 3 there. All things for God's glory. And as I was studying, I, I came, I was at my desk and I came downstairs and on the table there was a plaque with this phrase on. I, I told my wife, I said, well, there's my sermon in a nutshell. And this is what, it, what the quote was. It said, Dear God, I want to take a minute not to ask anything from you, but to simply say thank you for all that I have. Amen. Too many times, in my experience, I'm reaching out, I want more, I want more, and I don't, I don't pause to thank God for what He has already given me. And have utilized that to its full extent. May God help us to do that.